the MoneyWeb Crypto Podcast, where we discuss all things crypto-related. Your host, Kieran Ryan. A piece of news that caught my eye was South African-based crypto exchange Valor announcing that it has raised $50 million. Now, that's over 750 million rand in what is Africa's largest ever crypto funding round. That values the company at an astonishing $240 million or 3.7 billion rand. And that's a 10 times increase in value since July 2020. What's even more astonishing is the company was formed just four years ago in 2018. And this shows the kind of value that's been created in the crypto space. We've seen other crypto exchanges like Luno and Ovix coming from humble South African roots and then going out to conquer the world or at least attempting to. Is Valor going the same route? And what does it need this money for? Joining me to discuss this is Farzam Esani, CEO of Valor and no stranger to MoneyWeb crypto listeners. Fazam, good to talk to you again. $50 million is a lot of money, but this is not your first rodeo, right? You've had fundraising rounds before. Where did you raise this money from and what is it for? Hi, Kieran. Lovely to be with you again. So we, we raised the money mostly from international investors. Over 99% of the money came from uh, investors outside South Africa. And really, we think that uh, it's uh, the right time still to be kind of going out beyond the South African borders into the rest of the continent and beyond, because there are many of the traditional financial institutions that are not servicing this space. And I feel they will be waking up soon. And the time is right now to actually go and um, assist people in the quote unquote virgin territory so that we can assist them and bring them into crypto. So we didn't have to raise the money. We were fortunate enough to be profitable, but we felt that uh, raising the money would um, accelerate our expansion offshore, accelerate our uh, product suite, and also allow us to grow our team quicker so that we could service that demand uh, that we think we think is actually right now. So, so we're 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 <laughs> we're we're very excited about that. Okay, now I've mentioned in the intro that uh, Luno and Ovex they've gone the international route, and you did mention that. Uh, but give us a little bit more insight into that. How, in fact, are you going to be going international? W- what are your priority markets? Are you still going to be South African based? How's the structure going to work going forward? Yeah, we're still South African based. Uh, we're headquartered in South Africa. Most of the team is still in South Africa, but we are expanding. We've actually um, now got uh, an entity in India as well. Um, we really want to be in the rest of the continent of Africa as well, but regulations are challenging. So we are are looking at places like Kenya, like Nigeria, like Ghana, Zambia, Botswana. And the first couple of those countries that I mentioned are are very challenging because the central banks of those respective countries have basically quite openly said to their own banks that you know don't bank crypto exchanges. And if you do, you risk your license getting revoked. And so operating in such an environment is obviously difficult if you're in a crypto exchange like ours. However, we are in discussions with those uh, institutions. We think, and they think as well, that there is some bright lights to come. Uh, and so we're positioning ourselves for that. And then there are new jurisdictions. You know, Zambia has uh, had a regime change recently. They are very open. They'd like to make themselves a, 
a tech hub of Africa. So really, Africa, we're looking at India as a big market. Uh, we already have on and off ramps for US dollars uh, via our partnership with Circle and the USDC uh, stablecoin, which is effectively one-to-one -one with the dollar. And then post that, we'll look uh, further afield. So um, it's very exciting times. Interesting that you mentioned Zambia, the new government they've got there. Um, are they, in fact, uh, sending out quite positive signals about crypto? And do they see this forming part of their financial system? They are. So um, we're going to be continuing those discussions with them. Um, but the indication is that they are open. And in fact, they are wanting to promote it, actually. So, uh, you know, it, it's, it's still early days. And I think not just us, there are many people that are talking uh, to the Zambian officials, um, which is exciting for the people of Zambia. So, so it's, it's a positive story there. And I, and I think, you know, Kieran, despite some of the regulatory headwinds that we're seeing in other jurisdictions in Africa, I think it's only a matter of time for people to realize that, that it's in the best interest for their own jurisdiction, for their own people, for tax revenues, for employment creation, et cetera, to start looking at this space with a less skeptical eye and looking at it as a real means for promoting the jurisdiction in many, many ways. So I think the world is slowly coming to that conclusion, and I'm looking forward to, to African nations uh, also recognizing that sooner rather than later. Of course, one of the big markets in Africa that could benefit from crypto is remittances. I was just doing a little bit of research on that in the last few days. And I think the World Bank has put out a, a study on that showing that in some cases it's up to 22% of GDP. And that's in the case of Gambia. In other countries, you know, 3 to 4% of GDP coming from remittances. And that's really money being sent back from the diaspora, people who are working abroad, sending it back to family at home. And the cost of that, doing that in the traditional financial system is huge. So crypto does offer solutions. Do you see this as a market that you're interested in? Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, you know, we, we already see certain remittance flows with Valor. If you're sending, and, and this is for the benefit of the listeners, if you're sending a value into South Africa, for example, uh, you get a much better deal sending that value into South Africa via crypto on a, on a platform like like Valor than you do through the traditional financial system. And it has something to do with, you know, the, the, there's a little bit of a premium in crypto markets because of exchange controls in South Africa. And so we see people doing that already with our current customer base, right, uh, through our discussions with them. And I think that that's going to become a, a pervasive concept throughout the continent as well, particularly, as you mentioned, you know, I, I thought you were going to say 22%, not of GDP, but of the actual amount that people pay in fees, and it's sometimes even more than that. And so the fees that people are paying in the traditional financial system are oftentimes exorbitant. Now, crypto has its challenges. It's not always cheap to send crypto, and, and there's a lot of work that's being done on that with layer two protocols, et cetera. So we're still in the early days. The infrastructure providers across the continent, like ourselves, are still, still being set up. But I think it's, it's just a matter of time before there are enough infrastructure players across the continent in crypto that will facilitate flows of value seamlessly and much more seamlessly and much more cheap or cheaper than the, the traditional financial institutions. And that will see remittances being a big thing for the African people in crypto. It's not quite there yet. There's the adoption needs to increase. Some of the challenges need to increase. Volatility obviously is still an issue because during a remittance uh, process, 
if there's a volatility that moves against you, then that could be disastrous. And so that needs to be hedged. So that's why I talk about the infrastructure that needs to be put into place to facilitate those types of uh, flows and uh, remittance corridors for, for the people of Africa. And talking about some of the more interesting markets in Africa, Nigeria seems to be huge in terms of crypto adoption. But yet you had a you have a central bank there that is not particularly pro-crypto. In fact, you mentioned in the beginning that there are some regimes where the central banks have actually instructed banks not to facilitate any transactions with crypto exchanges. And yet you are seeing workarounds in Nigeria, uh, peer-to-peer transactions and that sort of thing. And people are still acquiring Bitcoin and acquiring cryptos and doing retail sales, you know, using stable coins and using all sorts of uh, cryptos that they're able to get their hands on. Is that a market that you would be looking at? No, we're always considering what our options are. And uh, peer-to-peer, are you talking about Nigeria or are you talking about peer-to-peer markets? Well, Nigeria as a as a very good example of where peer-to-peer transactions are beginning to take off. So we're certainly looking at Nigeria. Um, and, you know, there are players in Nigeria already. There are ways in which one can structure things to be able to provide uh, crypto services to the people in Nigeria. As you mentioned, one of them is uh, peer-to-peer transactions. I think it's important if there are any regulators listening that, you know, when people are pushed to go peer to peer, it becomes very dangerous for people. So their interest in crypto does not wane. And if anything, it increases because there's a lot more discussions about like, why is this such a bad thing? And then people look into it and they realize actually it's not such a bad thing. And then um, the peer to peer model is actually kind of a dispute resolution model where you know, one party will send funds to another party and then the crypto will be held in escrow with a third party. And there's a lot of scammers in that space. Now that's being trying to be managed by different institutions. We, we don't play in that space at the moment. But the reason I say that is that the objectives of the regulators by making such a ban are not being met. So it's unclear what the objectives are but all they're doing is that the people that they're trying to serve or they, they should be serving, which is their population, they're actually pushing them into a much more dangerous territory. And I was having a conversation about this with, a, with someone in Kenya yesterday, and he was reiterating the same thing to say, you know, they wish that they could have a centralized exchange like Valor, where people could deposit their fiat currency like Kenya shillings um, or their crypto, and we would facilitate that in a secure environment where you don't need to worry about the credit worthiness of anybody else, except for who you're dealing with on the exchange. Um, and so we need to do a lot more education on the continent with the regulators as well, because I, I believe that those type of regulations actually put people into danger and don't meet policy objectives. Okay, just changing gear here, we've seen quite a strong bounce back in cryptos these last few weeks, but this time it seems that DeFi has been leading the way. By DeFi, I mean uh, coins such as Aave and Compound. What are you seeing from where you sit in the crypto space? What's catching your eye? Yeah, I think DeFi is a big thing. We've seen NFTs that are still a big thing. We've seen you know, the metaverse and, and the interaction between the metaverse and crypto and DeFi being big things. But we've also just seen in you know, just the traditional space where there's much more interest of people coming into crypto. You know, there's still a very small percentage of the population a small percentage of corporates uh, and financial institutions or a smaller percentage of, of sovereign states that are in crypto. 
So what we're seeing is many more people coming into crypto uh, from individuals to institutions. Uh, and I believe soon we'll see in governments as well. And, and, you know, with what's going on in the world, we're seeing very different use cases for crypto where people perceive there to be a lot of injustice in our system, you know, whether that's political injustice or financial injustice, et cetera. So that combined with some of the challenges that we're currently seeing in our traditional financial system with inflation in, in the West, for example, which has really kind of become very prominent um, and, and the worst it's been for several decades, we're seeing people say, listen, wait a minute, you know, how do I hedge myself against these challenges? So many of those people and in institutions are looking at crypto as a hedge against the traditional financial system, as a hedge against inflation. So we're still seeing a lot of that transition happening in addition to things like DeFi. DeFi or decentralized finance, uh, NFTs, et cetera, remain peripheral still. Um, people are talking about them more in the mainstream, but the people actually dealing with them are still just a handful of people. And you know, it's still very difficult to engage with these protocols. You know, I have people contacting me all the time just asking about, you know, how do I do this? And so there's a lot of work for us to do to make that more accessible, these new um, kind of frontiers of crypto. But um, the good thing is that that, that that initial or ongoing trend of people moving into crypto is also continuing with full force. It's interesting. I, just this week, I, I've heard a story of some Russians here in South Africa. Of course, they've been shut off from the financial system pretty much worldwide. It's very difficult for them to get money from Russia out. One of the ways they're doing that is with crypto. You know, you can still acquire crypto in Russia and you can ship it to South Africa. So that, that use case, I mean, it was almost invented for a situation like this where the traditional financial system can shut you down. But, you know, because you have this this private or privatized, decentralized and, and censorship resistant system such as, as crypto, you can always find a way to get around this. It's, it's an interesting development. You seeing some of that in, in, uh, in, in Bala? It's a very good question. And it's a very interesting topic. So on the one hand, we see uh, several stories coming out of Ukraine of people that have said that had it not been for crypto, they literally would have lost everything because the current financial system has failed them, their property is gone, et cetera. And so the one thing that they've been able to take with them for their future is crypto, right? That's not dependent on the Ukrainian financial system that's had troubles uh, or any other system. So things like that are, are, are very powerful stories about the power that crypto has in, in helping people that are in situations completely out of their control and that you know they're they're on the receiving end of a really bad situation. So that's that's the first thing. The second thing is like you know, as you know, there's been a lot of uh, sanctions on Russia, etc. We're a centralized exchange, uh, Kieran, and therefore we're subject to a lot of the sanctions that are on any traditional financial institution. So if you know if there are larger sanctions where certain populations aren't allowed to be served, we are actually uh, effectively bound by our financial relationships to, to adhere to those. Now, I, I say that because that's what we do, but one also needs to step back. And I think as a society, we need to think about what is the justice in some of these policies that are taking place that harm the average person much more than the intended people that it's meant to kind of curtail or punish. And so I think that the whole topic of sanctions is something for another podcast or another day. 
But it's a very good question that, yes, to answer your question, people can be using crypto to kind of escape the traditional financial system. But a lot of people are saying that, you know, people are using crypto to evade sanctions. And that's not true. It's very difficult to go through centralized exchanges like Valor and others uh, and to kind of evade the law. You know, the big exchanges are law-abiding like ourselves. And so the effectiveness of those sanctions, whether those are right or wrong, uh, is still there and it still applies to crypto exchanges like ourselves. I mean, anybody who has the idea that opening a crypto exchange is an easy gig is they're probably in for a rude surprise, right? So uh, I'm just wondering how Valor differentiated itself. You've been going four years now. You've got a very strong footprint in the South African market. How do you differentiate yourself in what is a pretty competitive field? I think a few things. Number one is uh, our offering. So we've got the largest selection of cryptos of any uh, exchange based in South Africa or in Africa as a whole. Um, number two, our fees are some of the lowest fees in the world. We actually pay some of our, uh, well, actually any of our customers if they provide liquidity. So that's that's something that's really, I think there are, there's nobody else in Africa that does that. And I think most of the world is a very rare phenomenon. Um, and then C is our product itself. Um, we have a very seamless, easy to use app, or you can go onto the website. And in addition to that, we have very sophisticated traders that use our application programming interface, our API, to do very sophisticated algorithmic high frequency trading as well. So I think the technology that we also uh, have deployed onto our platform, we've received feedback you know, widely and consistently across the market in Africa, for sure, is that we have the best API and the best technology of any platform by, you know, the words that people use are we're in leagues of our own. That's on par with the international platforms. So I think that's testament to our team, our technical team, et cetera. We've spent very little money on marketing, um, Kieran. So we intend to use our funds to do that and to let, let, let the world and let South Africa and Africa and other countries that we're going to get into know more about the benefits that we bring to, to our, our customers. But we're very proud of, of kind of, you know, I'm very proud about what we bring to our customers. I think it's a very comp compelling proposition. Uh, and there are a lot of choices out there, but I think we, we have something that stands on its own. Right. And of course, one of the big issues is uh, security. People want to know that, you know, their coins or their money is safe. There. I want to get to that in a minute, though. Uh, just turning to Bitcoin for a minute. Uh, you're starting to see some bounce back in Bitcoin. It's up about 20% over the last couple of weeks. One of the things that seems to have happened, or there's, there's probably two or three things, one of being the, the Russia-Ukraine conflict. And this is kind of a use case for uh, Bitcoin that has now come into its own. But Terra Luna has also been buying Bitcoin at, at a phenomenal rate, as is Michael Saylor, who is the CEO of MicroStrategy. They own something like, I think, 130,000 coins at the moment. But the interesting one was Terra Luna, which is is itself a crypto, and it has a stable coin called uh, UST. There's some very interesting developments and some very serious players and big money getting behind Bitcoin. They're treating this as a reserve asset. Is, is this something that you see as a fundamental shift in the market? I don't think it's a fundamental shift necessarily as a continuing process. Um, I think many of us in crypto have seen 
Bitcoin as a reserve asset for many years now. Um, the fundamentals are there from the perspective of what the technology offers, its difficulty to, to be censored. And I think a lot of people are starting to see, gosh, what's going on in the traditional financial system? And, you know, what is our alternative? And, and to put it plainly, again, not to have any kind of political judgment on this, but when, you know, the, the reserve assets, the dollars that belong to the Russian central bank are frozen, unilaterally based on decisions by, uh, you know, the West, that sends a very powerful signal to the rest of the world, which is to say, if we are not happy with you, we can turn off your financial, uh, you know, system effectively or, or, or confiscate things that are under our control. Now, while that may seem, you, you know, wise in the short run, and, and, you know, there's a lot of injustice that's happening right now in that part of the world that is, again, I'm not going to comment at length at that. But what it also does send a signal to others is to say, well, wait a minute, if I'm ever on the receiving end of that as well, is my reserve asset really a reserve asset if I cannot hold it, if I cannot access it, if I cannot spend it? Nobody can do that with crypto. Nobody can do that with Bitcoin for right or for wrong, right? And I think that concept is becoming much more pervasive since the end of February when this started in with, between Russia and Ukraine. And there are many commentators, market commentators that say that, the, you know, our financial system changed February 26th. I think that was the date um, because people realized, well, wait a minute, our, our funds and our system and the integrity of it isn't as safe as we believed it to be. And those people are looking for alternatives. And the only real alternative is either gold, which is clunky, difficult to transport, et cetera, or crypto. So I think people are moving into crypto because it's, it's, a, it's a very compelling argument. Talk for a minute about security. I want to come back to that point. I recently read that the U.S. Department of Justice has finally found almost all of the billions, I think it was more than $4 billion worth of Bitcoin stolen during the 2016 uh, hack of cryptocurrency exchange Bitfinex. And more recently, BlockFi, um, Swan Bitcoin, which is a Bitcoin buying app and hedge fund Pantera Capital, they will notify clients of a data breach. So this is getting quite real and people are worried about security. Are hackers getting more inventive? And how do you at Valor protect against that? Yeah, so just to clarify on, on, on some of those the breaches that you just talked about, those aren't crypto breaches. That was actually a breach of a, a marketing or a CRM system or a sales system that was used by a bunch of those different providers. So just want to clarify for the listeners that that wasn't actually anything to do with crypto. It was just a traditional company that was breached and that had some customer data of some of those players that you mentioned. But security is a huge thing nonetheless within, within crypto. It is the number one priority for us to ensure that we safeguard the funds under management or the assets under custody that we have for our customers. We have a dedicated cybersecurity team. We started with this. Uh, we have a chief information and security officer from the very start. We recognize that you can't run a crypto exchange if security isn't your top priority. And in addition to our dedicated cybersecurity experts that we have in-house, we use several external firms to, you know, run pen tests, to give us annual reports, to do reviews on our system, et cetera. 
security is not something that you can ever be um, arrogant or fully, uh, what's the word? Complacent. Yeah, complacent and confident, exactly. Security is something that I will never be able to say, oh, we have nothing to worry about, right? And I think that there's a false sense of security for people that think, oh gosh, my, my crypto is with X, Y, or Z and it's fully safe. There is no 100% safe solution in crypto, whether that's holding your own keys or any exchange. What anybody should be trying to do is understand what the risks are and trying to mitigate those risks as much as possible. But if anybody says that they have mitigated risks 100%, that's just simply a lie. It's not possible, right? So we spend a lot of our time on security uh, with our teams, with our external advisors, to ensure that our, our customers' funds and our own funds are as safe as they possibly can. So it's something that's an ongoing thing. It's something that requires attention every single minute, uh, every single day. We're a 24 hour, seven days a week, 365 days a year platform. And so it's, it's the top of my mind every day, every night, uh, the top of our, the mind of our team and not just our security team, our entire team. Uh, and we have lots of different things that we actually put into place to safeguard the assets that we have, but also to safeguard our customer access into the platform as well. You have to authenticate your device. Some of our customers complain about it because they said, gosh, you know, my IP address is changing or my browser has changed and you're asking me to check my email again and to give a code to make sure that it's me. And we say, yes, it is annoying, but we prefer that it's annoying rather than funds being compromised. Okay, final question here. If we look down a year, 12 months from now, given this, uh, this abundance of money, which I would probably say it's probably not an abundance, but it does seem like it is, where's Valor going to be? How many countries are you going to be in? What, what kind of services are you going to be offering that are different to what you have now? Yeah, so those two things that you mentioned. So it's our geog geographical presence and the products that we offer. So... Um, we, we plan to be in many more countries in Africa, um, you know, in, in, in the near future, as well as up and running in other countries such as India. They all have their challenges and that's why it's very difficult with the current status quo that, that is crypto and the traditional financial system to say for sure it's gonna be X, Y, and Z country. Regulations change all the time and so one has to be nimble and kind of have a, have a general direction that one is going in and, and then try to do one's best to get there. But really our focus is on Africa, India, emerging markets, with also the ability to on-ramp with uh, USD and euros in the future. So we're also looking at euros on and off-ramps as well. Um, so that's from a geographic and a fiat currency presence. Obviously, the main thing for us is to be able to integrate with um, you know, fiat currencies or, or national monies we are an online platform, so it's not like we have you know, branches in countries or anything like that, but we need to have the relationships and the ability to move money in and out of people's national uh, or, or domestic currencies. That's the first thing. And then the second thing about the products that we want to bring to the market, we're very excited. There are a bunch of things that are currently in flight right now that are currently being tested. South Africa and what we offer right now is still quite a rudimentary offering. We offer spot trading, spot trading being, you know, I just buy and sell cryptocurrencies. We want to get into uh, all sorts of different types of um, 
you know, collateralized lending and uh, a bunch of different things that are available in other markets as well. One of the main challenges is the regulations. Um, you know, derivatives, for example, aren't in the best light within the South African regulatory framework for crypto, but we're engaging with the regulators and trying to change that because we don't think that's the right thing for the market uh, or, or the, the population here. And obviously it needs to be brought to the, to the market in a, in a responsible manner, which is what we always aspire to do. So I think, you know, I'm not going to, I don't like announcing things before we actually have them done, but suffice it to say, there's a bunch of new products and services that we're bringing to the market, both for retail customers, as well as institutions. And that's also where I'm very excited about, because I think in Africa, the institutions have been much slower than the retail, um, um, you know, segments to come in. And so we're really excited about those, those products and services and the new geographies we're going to be heading into. Farzam Esani, CEO of Valor. Thanks very much for joining us. And we look forward to having you back when these plans actually start rolling out and you've got more to announce. Likewise. Thank you so much for having me, Kieran. Always a pleasure. Thanks for listening to the MoneyWeb Crypto Podcast, hosted by Kieran Ryan. To listen to our other podcasts, Go to moneyweb.co.za or the MoneyWeb app and follow MoneyWeb News for daily updates.